Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points. I am joined by data scientist Benjamin Brown. We're going to break down all of the very important and highly exciting Week 18 action. And then we'll also get into the implications for the playoffs and maybe some firings, some firings of GMs and coaches around the league. And a very important one that did not happen that I'm sure we will discuss also. Let's get into it. All right, everybody, uh, we are back. We're going to do a little bit of a different thing this time because there are so many games here in week 18 that either had two teams who had no playoff aspirations or those that really had no ending implication on a team getting into the playoffs. So we're probably going to skip most of those. But I will say that there were some rumblings coming into week 18 about the fact that Oh, the season's too long. There's too many games that don't matter, this and that. I mean, this might have been, if you take the cream of the, the, the creme de la creme of the week 18, might have been better than any other week of this season in terms of drama, in terms of impact, in terms of overtime, in terms of controversy over timeouts that were called for no reason that we'll talk about. What, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say from like a drama perspective, uh, the product was really good here in Week 18. I think that is one thing that both the film crew, analytics crew, we can all agree on. Uh, week 18, I think, needs to be here to stay because I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So uh, uh, no, no bad feelings for me other than the Vikings, of course, winning a meaningless game. But thankfully... Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman out the door. So we got uh, new yeah, we, new turnover relief here happening in 2020. We we will talk about that. We will talk about that uh, eventually. But eventually. you know we don't want to agree too much with these uh, with these football guys. Okay, um, and l- let's let's jump right into it in a game where there can be plenty of disagreements uh, from all quarters, and that is the Sunday night football game, the Los Angeles Chargers at the Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> Uh, Chargers were like three, three and a half point favorites in this one. Um, my, okay, so obviously the Raiders, we all saw them win the game in overtime. My adjusted score actually had the Chargers being slightly better in this game. Hmm. But before I get into the details on why that was the case, I mean, this game really had everything. I mean, there was the drama of the potential tie, what would happen with that going into the game, knowing that if there was a tie, both teams would make the playoffs and the Pittsburgh Steelers would, would be out. There was a failed fourth down conversion uh, in the third quarter that Brandon Staley went for on his own 18-yard line that just literally blew the minds. I think there were at least two uh, football guys, two or three throughout the country, who just had brain matter splattered all over the walls after after they saw that happening. So, So that happened. There was going for two down nine, which is kind of not really an analytics thing. It's just like a logic type of thing, but still common sense, common sense thing. But we heard Al say, uh, you know, Al got in a little boomer opinion in there where he was saying that, you know, you don't want the letdown and everything else is going there. So so that happened in there. And then to, to end it all, we had the timeout controversy at the end, which for me. Like, I don't know, this is like T.O. Anon or something like and I almost feel like I'm insulting the QAnon people by saying this because I think there's probably a more higher likelihood that JFK Jr. will come back into power and defeat the 
pedophile global elites than there is that this timeout had some sort of massive effect on Basaccia, who was going to kneel it somehow from shotgun formation uh, and then decided he wasn't going to do it here. So let's talk about timeout gate first because I just want to put that aside there. Uh, are you part of T.O. Anon? Are you part of this group? Because I, I need to know now if I need to do an intervention here before we even start. You you sound way too well-versed in QAnon for me to like be anywhere close to <laughs> T.O. Non or whatever you want to call it. But I, I am not whatsoever. Honestly, uh, one thing that probably drives me more crazy than anything else, I know you really hate to hear people harp on like specific play calling and those sorts of things. One thing I absolutely hate is people who like try and coach their bets or like get super upset about what they think is like a really poor decision only because of the fact that they're on the losing side of the bet and that is kind of what dictated that performance. So I don't buy into it. I don't think I don't think the timeout really had uh, all that much to do with what Passaccio was trying to do. I don't know if they had some sort of like eye agreement uh, before the play where they were going to potentially uh, allow it to go down into a tie and then when, you know, Staley called the timeout, uh, all those plans went out the window. That's just way too intricate for my understanding. I do think that, uh, you know, the Raiders played to win. I don't think that played to win in that scenario was at all the correct decision. I was on the side that definitely wanted uh, a tie game at the end, but I don't necessarily think that that timeout influenced anything whatsoever. So I'm probably on the complete opposite side of uh, T.O. Non, but I think you might. Okay, it sounds like you might be at least a little bit. You've done some research at least. I think it's like uh, percolating or you know, kind of starting to brew in your mind or something that you want well, to dig yeah, a little yeah. deeper, I mean, right? Fortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, a you know tweet that I just fired off in the in the wake of what happened ended up getting picked up a little bit oh no uh, ian Rappaport in the retweets which really? i wasn't expecting i got yeah, i missed that others. completely that's how offline it I wasn't even like and then, so then it then it then it precipitated like a thread where i was just i was just going off on people that were uh that were jumping in at me although i only uh, uh, advice to anyone who has any sort of following on twitter i only see the uh notifications for people who are following me so right. i didn't have to worry about seeing the like 300 people who replied or quote tweeted in saying why why i was saying was stupid when in fact they're they of course uh are, are you know brainless dolts basically so let, let me let me just say first that i think you have a good you had a really good point that i wasn't even thinking of going into this is that the the global way that we're looking at this game and this comes down to you know criticizing play calling that i've mentioned before criticize like how critical we are of the coaches in certain situations is in some ways a reflection of how much we want those players to be successful. And then when they're not successful, like everyone, not everyone, but most people who are not fans of these two fan bases wanted Justin Herbert and the Chargers to win. Right. So when they don't win, people are grasping more so to say, what can we pin this on? Now, it would have been the fourth down that happened before earlier, but then it ended up being this timeout thing. So just to quickly go over the timeout thing, because maybe we got to put this to bed, I think, before before we can move on here. Like, there is no logical reason for why this would have changed Basaccia's right, strategy right. here. Again, I mentioned he's he's lining up in shotgun. The previous play, they ran the ball for seven yards. They were not, you know, not trying to run the ball. The timeout that Staley took was with four seconds on the play clock. So the only practical difference between post-timeout and pre-timeout was maybe they would have run one or two more seconds off the clock before they snapped the ball. So no difference between anything else other than one or two seconds. If there was any indication that Staley was trying to stop the clock to get the ball back, he would not have waited until there was only four seconds left on the play clock to do so. So if it changed his, his theory, and then again, when he spoke about it afterwards, he said they were thinking about the tie – 
But then when they picked up those yards and got into field goal range, they decided to kick it. Well, again, you know, that doesn't mean that they changed their strategy. It just means the events changed what ended up happening there. And what Staley was trying to do is he actually brought in personnel to stop the run. Obviously, that failed miserably. So maybe if you want to put him some some blame there on the entire defense on not being able to stop them on one play where they knew they were going to run the ball and they needed to stop them, then they gave up 10 yards. You could put some blame on there. But to say that the timeout precipitated anything else is really just just crazy talk. And I have to blame the big man, Chris Collinsworth, a little bit and Al Michaels for bringing it up because I feel like that triggered people's minds when they weren't paying attention to the fact that there was only four seconds left on the on the, the play, play clock. clock. Right. So there there's no difference between the timeout or the not timeout as far as what the situation the Raiders were in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it changes nothing in the overall thought nothing. process for what they're actually saying. So people the, that, the people that are grasping onto it, from my perspective, just wanted a completely different outcome and they're being way too results-oriented yeah. Uh, in my opinion. So I just don't see the logic and even really like arguing all that much for how that could have even impacted Basaccia's, uh, you know, changed his philosophy or something. Of course, you know, you hear Derek Carr say, oh, it, it kind of changes something like that. But honestly, like taking what these players are saying as gospel at the end of the game and then like building out all these massive narratives from it is just like such a waste of time because i mean they're kind of still in the moment in a lot of scenarios they're saying not necessarily saying whatever they want but they're saying things to probably speed along the interview as quickly as possible because they don't want to be sitting in front of a camera talking to or, 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 or you just say yes right just say yes right but even even so like they did change. They went from a shotgun right. to I mean, the under play, center the actual play because changed. they brought right. in. Right. Yeah, they're probably going to run it anyway. But right. know, they brought in heavier personnel. So then the Raiders, even though they still were in eleven personnel, they they brought in a tighter formation right. to bring in to bring in some more blockers. So it did change what they're going to do. But then he immediately followed that, and this is the part that was clipped off conveniently by a lot of people. He immediately followed that with saying, "Is like, but we wanted to win the game, so right. they wanted to win the game." Now, if they ran the ball and they got stuffed and they had to attempt a 57-yard field goal or they lost two yards, timeout, no timeout, whatever would have happened, they probably would have just taken a knee rather than attempted a very low probability field goal. And the longer you go out on the field goal, the lower the trajectory on these field goals too, the more likely it gets blocked and everything else there. That would have been an interesting post-game. I don't think people would have gotten on Basaccia that much about it. But the risk reward once they were within 47 yards the risk being a, a blocked kick return that would have to be returned for a touchdown it was pretty small and the reward number 1 basachi doesn't have to get like killed by everyone saying how it was like uh you know a farce and a disgrace to the game that he didn't attempt the field goal so that's number 1 number 2 they do get a little bit better positioning Seating, you could yeah. say and and their seating and who they're going to end up playing this week. So for that reason, there is actually probably even more of a real benefit there to kicking and making the field goal than there is any risk. Right. So I think we can put that that whole thing to bed. Or I think we're satisfied on that one. I'm, Sorry, Tio Anon. We'll have to maybe you know, next we'll time. Maybe next thing. time. It sounds like Kevin's <laughs> a little bit down the rabbit hole already. He never know how he's going to get sucked in here later on. So we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on. I'm on like seven chan. Right. I started on four chan. I'm working my way. Seven chan. Actually, I think it's eight chan. It's already on eight chan, right. isn't it? I don't. I, I, I have trouble keeping up with these things. So so that's that's first. Let's talk timeout. I mean not timeout. Let's talk uh fourth down. Okay. Because this is probably would have been the next logical thing to go to in this game. Um and this is of course fourth, technically fourth and one, like listed as fourth and one on this play, where on their own uh 19 yard 18 yard line, 
uh, down by three points, the Chargers. There was nine minutes left, basically, in the third quarter. And the models all came out in agreement that they should have gone for it anywhere from a three to, I think, a 5% sort of advantage on these models. But the question is, first, if you looked at it, and I looked at the – the play copy right afterwards. I would say it was about one and a half yards. I I heard that the next gen, you know, tr- ball tracking and everything said one point three yards. So when you have a model which is based on fourth and one, which is looking at all the historical plays on fourth and one, and you know it's blending in other distances too and everything else. But anyway, it's looking at fourth and one. Th- those fourth and one calls can be anywhere from one inch to 1.4 yards. The fact this is 1.3 yards really plays it out. So I can see the criticism there, but I also looked at numbers and had, you know, Ben Baldwin run his numbers. Even if it was fourth and two, there would have been around a 1%-ish sort of edge. So even that I don't think is a sufficient uh, reason to have not gone for it, the fact that they may have miscalibrated the one yard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's what... So 1.3 basically is the argument down to one. Obviously, if it's within a yard, yeah. it's still going to be one yard. You would like to see yes. that a little bit, but it didn't really matter, right? I mean, Austin Eckler got stuffed minus two yards, so it didn't even matter if it was an inch. I mean, it was uh, a pathetic attempt. It was a pathetic attempt. It was a very pathetic, pathetic attempt. attempt. Yeah. But, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, you do you do absolutely have to go for it. Maybe you're, again, going back to it, do we really want to sit here and nitpick uh, the play calling? No, I do think run was the correct play uh, from that perspective. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it was the correct decision by Brand Staley. I know some people want to knock him for being overly aggressive. In some situations, he has definitely done that at certain times, but this was definitely not one of them. So I agree with it quite a bit. I do think, you know, him increasing the win probability for his team is something that he has done uh, a pretty decent job of so far here in 2021. So result didn't necessarily work out, but I do think, you know, everything adds up to this being the correct decision. Yeah, yeah. And I also think what's interesting here, and this is, again, like why having this modeling capacity can help teach us what intuition does not is the fact that earlier in the game, maybe it's just the fact that they converted um, is, is the real reason here. But earlier in the game, there was a fourth and two when the Raiders were down uh, 10 points. There's 10 minutes left, I think, in the half at that point. Uh, it was fourth and two. They were on the Raiders' 19-yard line, and they went for it there. Mm-hmm. And they ended up eventually scoring a touchdown. Right. But if you looked at the numbers, they were actually smaller in that circumstance. And I think what people really can't wrap their minds around, this is this is the big part here. Now, I know that the results of the play where the Raiders did nothing after – they failed on the fourth and one, the one that everyone's criticizing. The Raiders did nothing. So if they did nothing and you punted it, then the Raiders would have scored zero points. So you're giving them three points. But when you're going for it on fourth and two from the Raiders 19 yard line, you are foregoing three points right there. You have a, you have a pretty much guaranteed three points there. And when you're punting from your own 18 yard line, the Raiders on the season average right around two points per drive they're, the the chief, the charge defense obviously is not good, so you're giving up an expected two points in that situation. Right. Also, so I think that's the thing that people aren't thinking about nearly as much here. Is it's not just like in one situation they're ignoring a little too much the fact that you're foregoing the three points, and the other situation where the punt from the 18 yard line they're ignoring the fact that you're giving up time of clock when you're down, and you're giving up 
on average two points, but it could be as high as seven points. It really takes you out of the game. So it's like the ability to think about these um, opportunity costs is really, really difficult for people to do other than to say – Traditionally, it's insane just to guarantee your other team. It's it's like it's like you're guaranteeing them a field goal is insane, but taking away your guaranteed field goal is somehow not as insane. As insane. Yeah, right. I mean, that's basically yeah. it, right? And that is the whole argument. I do actually agree, uh, you know, with that particular point where it's like people have this expectation where they don't want they want to limit mistakes as much as possible, right? So anytime uh, you're allowed to do that, especially at the NFL, you know, coaching level, uh, people want to cheer for that because they don't want to see a drastic mistake and you know, affect the outcome of the game. So punting there, kicking the field goal there, those are low probability decisions that factor into this idea where you're not really making a consequential mistake or decision. Uh, and the flip side of that is you're giving up a lot, but people don't at all bake those numbers in uh, correctly or fold them incorrectly in their decision-making process. So they only look at the side that, you know, negates risk as much as possible. And I think that is, you know, the clear incorrect mindset to have here, especially uh, with the rest of the league kind of advancing forward as much as they are. Yeah, yeah. And another thing to think about is like you don't think that the middle of the third quarter is perhaps, you know, desperation time, sort yeah. of time. You're only you're only down three points. But again, when you're thinking about playing against another team, another team which has an offense that is playing well, kicking away the ball down by three means you're most likely going to have even more than a field goal to make up going forward, right. maybe even more than a touchdown to make up going forward. So if that's the case, I mean, after this play, after the play where they lost on downs, right? They had one, two, three. They had four possessions after that. But that's because that's because the Raiders gave up a bunch there. So again, if the Raiders come back and score, if you only have four possession, if you're, it's your four possessions versus their, you know, like four or five possessions when you're kicking it away and you're down. I know you could say you're within a possession, all these sorts of things, but you really put yourself behind the eight ball of having a chance to really go ahead and win when you're giving up the possession in those circumstances. Okay. So 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 what we've got past the big game management stuff here. Do you have any big opinions vis-a-vis Justin Herbert, uh the Raiders, what may happen in the playoffs? Now the Raiders are going to open as six and a half point dogs, it looks like now in, in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yep. They're playing the infamous early Saturday game where Cincinnati's still st- still stuck in that one, which is like the two teams that people assume are gonna get the worst. The worst uh, ratings. What, 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 what are your thoughts generally, I guess, on these two franchises moving forward? Because I feel like the Raiders are kind of an afterthought to most people, but now they're the ones who are in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely exceeded expectation for the Raiders. And the concerning thing is, like, uh, where where do they go from here, right? Because I do think that they've all greatly exceeded expectations, especially after John Gruden got fired. Derek Carr has been, you know, a top 10 PFF graded quarterback so far in 2021. The defense has... Uh, you know, been really good from a pressure perspective, doesn't have to blitz a whole lot, but it seems like a lot of these ceiling performances are converging at the right time for them. Uh, and the only thing that that's really brought them is what, like, you know, the fifth overall seed in the wild card round, six and a half point dogs. So uh, I think something still needs to change. Uh, in order for the Raiders to actually be successful going forward here. I don't think they're anywhere anywhere closer to, you know, actually competing for a Super Bowl, which is what should be uh, your ultimate goal. Obviously, getting in the playoffs is the first step in doing that, so kudos to them. But it doesn't make me move them any closer uh, to actually being a contender for the Lombardi Trophy. I do think Derek Carr 
in the right system with the right environment can challenge for that uh, but you know the ulterior players around him especially at the skill positions is just lacking so much to the point where uh, I just don't see this being all that beneficial and a building block for this organization to build off of here for in 2022 is, is kind of my takeaway on the Raiders and the Chargers there's there's still the Chargers right I mean it's 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 insane the way that they you know you know, Justin Herbert continues to exceed expectations despite all the situations and things that are happening around him. Uh, you know, he looks like a legitimate top five quarterback going forward. Obviously, that is a team that can definitely win a Super Bowl with him playing at his ceiling, but uh, it's still the Chargers, right? So I think, you know, yeah, obviously it's, yeah. it's disappointing to see them, you know, crater a little bit here in 2021. They should be back here for the foreseeable future, but uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to project. What do you, what do you see now? Where do you, where do you stand in the Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow debate? I guess it's been a, a little bit of a hot topic here as well. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think I might lean Herbert on that, but I think it is pretty close. I mean, there is, there is this interesting thing with Herbert and we saw this in this game in particular where that final drive that they scored the, the touchdown on during regulation, right. Everyone looks at this one and they look at the touchdowns, the fourth down, the touchdown with no time left, the fourth down conversions, the improbability of it. And in a way, it elevates him even more so than if they marched down the field really quickly right. and scored. They, they had 19 plays on that drive. They were, you know, not doing anything on first and second down. And the same thing happened in overtime. So I feel like there's this weird thing where he gets more credit for the fact that he has been this outperformer under pressure. He's been this outperformer on late downs. He's been this guy who makes these amazing throws when they have to have right. it. But, you know, you could do that on first down too, yeah. right? You don't have to wait for fourth down to, to make all these different conversions. So in a way, his numbers maybe don't quite match up, at least EPA-wise, with what people's expectations are of him. And Going back to Derek Carr, I think I mentioned this about him probably a couple of times. It's kind of like my Derek Carr rant, but I'll just restate it one more time here is that at least according to my numbers, when it brings in rushing for their overall grade here, that if you look at Carr, his rank by EPA per play and his PFF offensive grade this season, he has a lower rank than he did in both in 2020 and in 2019. He has lower just headline EPA per play than he did in those two seasons, yet He's been someone who has been in the conversation at the end of seasons as, do we want this guy to be right. our quarterback going forward? And by the fact that the defense has finally not been god-awful, um, he's been kind of elevated this season in a way, in particular in this game, a game where he did not play well uh, overall, um, into this different position as, I think, being pretty rock-solid. I mean, you never know who they may end up moving forward with if they really clean house and Mayock's gone and everything else happens. Um but he looks like he's pretty solidified there, the most solidified he's been there, where I don't think his performance has necessarily been better than it has in the past. But he's getting some of this QB wins glow that he that he hasn't had any of right. the last few seasons, not to his fault. Yeah, and some of it is also to do with, like, you know, the situation as far as, like, who is at a skill position, right? Obviously, they draft Henry Ruggs. He's out the door, you know, after five weeks this year. Uh, and it's kind of been, you know, he's been exceeding despite the chaos surrounding him. So I do think that provides a little bit more of that glow uh, as far as, you know, Derek Carr finally kind of coming into his own as a franchise quarterback in the NFL. But uh, I think this is a spot where PFF 
has probably been a little bit ahead of the curve and at least evaluating Derek Carr because we were higher on him like you said in that 2019 2020 did have the makings of a guy that could definitely you know compete and elevate his team and I think we're finally maybe seeing that uh, to a lesser extent in 2021 even if you know some of the EPA uh, and overall PFF grade isn't necessarily uh, you know doubling down on that fact so yeah yeah speaking of uh, targets and who he has to throw to um Remember when Darren Waller had 19 targets no, and 10 was, catches in week one? That feels like a <laughs> lifetime ago, this guy? right? Yeah, what happened to this guy? I mean, talk about he's like he's like become an afterthought on that team uh, versus Zay Jones or Hunter someone else Renfro, there. So, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Hunter Redfo is completely unstoppable. Um, okay, so, yeah, so so this big one, we as we mentioned, Chargers out. Raiders in. We shall see going forward. I think it's good for the rest of the AFC, although eh, people are probably overrating the charges a little bit going into the playoffs. Okay, before we get into the rest of the action, quickly I want to talk about getting 25% off PFF subscription with promo code UNEXPECTED. Use promo code UNEXPECTED, whether it's the Edge or Elite subscription. Get access to all of our locked article content. We're going to have a ton, a ton, a ton of stuff coming up with the draft and free agency in the front view now for most teams, those teams who have not made the playoffs, definitely. Uh, We have all of our betting dashboards. Our Green Line product is up 27 units so far this season. And we also have our players' props tool, where every single week we're going to give you a lot of information. You can easily sort and find the best value picks according to us for any week. Okay, next game that I want to hit first, and just another shock factor more than anything else in this one, and that is... The Colts go to Jacksonville. They lose 26 to 11. I had it about the same, maybe a little bit more narrow, 26 to 13, according to my adjusted score. And I guess I didn't explain the adjusted score last time. That is downweighting some of the outlier plays, downweighting special teams, downweighting, you know, fumbles that end up uh, being recovered at a higher than average rate, and so on and so forth. It's trying to really focus in on the more sustainable types of production. Uh, And I think after this game, like, we could talk about Carson Wentz. But, again, I think there's a lot of value in focusing on places other people are not focusing. So, Wentz was bad. We all know that. The focus is going to be on Wentz. The focus is going to be on the trade, the collapse of the organization these last few weeks. But I don't think we can let the defense off the hook here for allowing Trevor Lawrence to have his best game of the season. I don't think we can let the running game and the offensive line off the hook for giving up a 43% pressure rate uh, against Wentz and then their outcomes running the ball, uh, whether it's if you look at their success rate running the ball or their efficiency was like a 10th percentile type of game here against the Jaguars. There were a lot of mistakes to go around here. And then, of course, there were the turnovers, which added up to you know more than 10 expected points lost for the turnovers, the part that everyone is really focused on. Yeah, I mean... Okay, I will, I guess, say that there was okay, a lot. You could go there, wins if well, you there was, to, trust Well, me. there was definitely a lot of, you know, like you said, there was a lot of blame to go around here. But uh, in saying that, like, your quarterback position is supposed to be the guy that can actually overcome some of this stuff, right? Like, the running back, yeah. uh, the running back and, the, you know, the offensive line didn't have a great game. I think it was the lowest EPA per uh, rush attempt so far that they had in 2021. But in saying that, we expect those sorts of games to happen, right? There's going to be times where the run is just, 
essentially stopped, and that's when you need to kind of have that quarterback that's actually able to elevate a little things. Carson Wentz is just not able to elevate any of those scenarios. I do think the Colts' defense, probably a little bit overrated heading into this matchup. They had generated uh, by far the most raw expected points added from turnovers and fumbles, or sorry, from interceptions and fumbles than any other defense. I think they led by like 13, 13 points or something from an EPA perspective. So they've had a ton of turnover luck go in their direction. At some point, both those factors are going to regress, right? Both the run game maybe is going to falter a little bit, Both the, and the fact that you might not have as much turnover luck. Those things tend to regress in a, on a game-by-game basis, and that's kind of what we saw here. And when you build a team on those two core tenets, you're going to have these sorts of outcomes. And if you don't have a quarterback uh, that is able to actually still bring you back and perform at least uh, well enough to put you back in the game, uh, you're going to lose to a team that's probably the worst team in the NFL with a playoff berth on the line uh, when you're a 14 and a half point favorite. And that is exactly what happened to the Indianapolis Colts. So I don't necessarily focus my sole blame on Carson Wentz, uh, but if he was at all uh, a legitimate quarterback that was worth a first round draft pick trade uh this would have been the type of game that he absolutely needed to win without when everything else is kind of faltering him and i would say you know going back to it guys like justin herbert guys like Derek carr they are winning despite those circumstances and the only time that carson Wentz has ever won here in 2021 has been because of the circumstances around him so uh disappointed obviously from a colts fan uh, i don't think you could really dive too deep into you know their offseason and their building and what they're going to do in the future without looking back on uh how they got in this position obviously this was a team that was built for Andrew Luck, uh, and that just did not work out over the Frank Reich Eric. I, I do still think Frank Reich and Chris Ballard are legitimate, you know, top echelon coach and GM pairing, but uh, without the quarterback position, this could easily be, you know, a 2022 situation where they're both getting fired here uh, on Black Monday, kind of like we're seeing with some of these coaching fires and other things happening here in 2021. So disappointing, yeah, but I think, I think it's only going to get darker from here for the Indianapolis Colts. Wow, yeah, very, very dark. Yeah, yeah, you got dark. This this is the team, if you remember correctly, which I was mocking a little bit, although not because I thought that they were a weak team. I was the whole, uh, nobody wants to face these guys. Yep. Nobody wants to face it's these the guys. guys. And now, team, well, right, I, right. I, I, guess they, I guess they got their wish because nobody is going gonna, is gonna to face them. But you're right about the turnovers. And then the running game in particular, something to mention about this, the ranking for the Colts on design runs, their efficiency and EPA per play is number one, but their success rate was more like six, seven. So if you're reliant upon big plays right. in the running game, like you mentioned, sometimes that's not going to happen. And yeah, they got both of those things working against them in this particular game. Now I mentioned about Trevor Lawrence, who I like Lawrence. Okay. I know that I've been a little bit of, you know, making fun of some apologensia for, for, for Lawrence here. He had his best game of the season. He had an 83.8 grade. He averaged about a quarter expected point per play. Zero turnover worthy plays, two big-time throws, two touchdowns. I think he only took one sack in this game. So, again, no turnovers and no sacks is really going to help boost your performance, even when you're not necessarily making a bunch of big plays. Uh, two touchdown passes here. Where you only had two touchdown passes in weeks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in weeks nine through seventeen, you only had two touchdown passes. Now he has two touchdown passes here. What are we thinking about Lawrence going into next season? Does any of this stuff really, really matter? Uh, are we just throwing away this this week eighteen uh, like we were the rest of the season in some people's minds? I mean, I mean, obviously you have to take everything with you know into context and those sorts of things. It was you know. It is encouraging to see him finally have his best game of the season, throw a couple touchdowns, no turnover-worthy plays. Do think, you know, the wide receiver unit also played pretty well uh, from the Jaguars' perspective. So, yeah, I mean, I think... 
Uh, at his low, he's definitely not anywhere close to what people were trying to bury him as here in 2021. I do still think he has a lot of the tools uh, and ability to be uh, a franchise-type quarterback for Jacksonville, and I do think it's going to come down to uh, kind of the makeup of this team in 2022, who they get as coach. I do know uh, some some current you know, names being tossed around right now sound a lot like they're just going to go down uh, the Urban Meyer train here again if they try and bring in an old school guy. I would like to see somebody uh, that's going to be able to actually develop Trevor Lawrence a little bit better. And if he gets that, uh, I still think that he has, you know, a ton of capabilities in order to kind of reach, uh, you know, an upper echelon quarterback type play here. And I think you saw maybe just a little glimmer of that here uh, in week 18. So something to build yeah, off yeah. of. I have a, uh... I have a contrarian slash potentially a galaxy brain take on the Bill O'Brien galaxy brain rumors okay. there. Um, okay, so if you look at what he did in Houston, his mistakes were largely when he put on that GM cap. Right. And he made egregious trades, whether it's you know the DeAndre Hopkins deal, uh, the trading for Laramie Tunsil, uh, every uh, the Osweiler uh, fiasco. So, like, if you could theoretically detach him from <laughs> being able to influence the personnel side of things, I could see some okayness there. My my concern would be the fact that when these guys leave town, they don't have some good things to say about them right, either. There's, right, there's, right. there's not warm and fuzzy feelings around that. So maybe that is is the thing that should disqualify him. But I'll say that the main things that stick in the front of our mind about Bill O'Brien and the laughing stock type of stuff is really the personnel moves that he made. Right. Not the coaching that, that he made where they made the playoffs so many years in a row, even with some pretty poor quarterback play. Yeah, I mean, I can agree, at least from a personnel perspective, it does sound like he would have uh, that clear distinction and he absolutely needs that clear distinction. But I think there's a lot of guys that I would much rather have uh, in Jacksonville than Bill O'Brien. And is this is this where Jim Caldwell has kind of been rumored a little bit to be uh, involved with as as well? Is that uh, another rumor that I've heard? I've heard not? his name, but it almost feels like people are just throwing his name anywhere in because possible. they want to like yeah. they want to like check that box so that people can't yell at them right. for not having him as a. When did this Caldwell thing come out? I don't know where, but anyway, um, so he's there. And then cause the last thing on just wrap up, put a bow on this Carson Wentz trade. He finished 17th this season in EPA per play, 20th in grade. So the the, the pick that they're going to give up, the first round pick they're going to give up to the Eagles is going to be the 16th pick. So right in the middle. They also gave up a third round pick in 2021, which was packaged with the Eagles' first round pick to move up a few spots and enable them to get Devontae Smith. So that's what we saw. Uh, I hold Ballard in pretty high regard and Reich in pretty high regard. It seems like their relationship with Jim Irsay is very strong, but another flame out next season, the noise may be too deafening for for even to, for even that relationship to survive. So I think I'm with you that 2022 is going to be a make or break year for them. But it's going to be with Carson Wentz. Right. They're rolling dice back, which is, you know, very concerning from my perspective. It is kind of interesting to see, you know, like you said, we both hold, you know, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich in really high regard, especially looking at, you know, the other options that they have at GM and at coaching in the NFL. So uh, it is interesting that, you know, even one semi-poor decision at the quarterback position can completely derail and tank uh, a franchise that, 
for all intents and purposes, is set up really well outside of that one position. So uh, it's crazy to see the dynamic that we see play out in the NFL every single season. I think you're seeing a little bit of that with you know the Minnesota Vikings right now. Zimmer getting fired, Rick Spielman getting fired, uh, and it seems like Kirk Cousins probably should receive the majority of blame uh, for those two decisions. So. Okay, you got to stop with the Vikings stuff. Settle down, settle down, settle down, settle down over there. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, okay, talk about uh, ugly quarterback play. The Pittsburgh Steelers at Baltimore Ravens. Pittsburgh wins a shootout, sixteen thirteen, and my numbers had the Ravens being five points better. And I started to look through this. I didn't realize. I was I was I was doing my best to avoid watching this game right. despite the implications there. 15 expected points lost on turnovers here. Two picks and a fumble for Huntley. Um if you look at their grades, Huntley actually had about the same-ish sort of grade as Big Ben, which was an awful grade in the 50s, but the EPA per play, Huntley was losing half a point and then Ben was gaining about tenth a point of play. So that just shows you how I how did that contrast with each other? Now, what I really wanted in this game, when it kept on going on and went to overtime, was like if this would have tied, if they would have tied this game, even though they knew that it eliminated both of them, but they were just so bad Spiteful. offensively that neither of them could score either way, that would have been, I feel like, an appropriate ending to the season. But instead, the Chiefs end up now with a half by. By by having to face the Steelers in Week One, and according to numbers from uh, Cleve TA, if you follow him at Cleve TA, uh, he says at twelve and a half point underdogs in KC is the highest wild card spread ever. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to fact check that after we get off this. Podcast, yeah, that was. I, I mean, I'm sure, not saying so. it's true for sure. I'm trying to think Again, back just recent memory. I mean, obviously we've seen some in the eight and, and a half, ten and a half. Yeah, twelve and a half. Yeah, basically comes down to have we seen one at like fourteen and a half or not. I don't. You're Thanks. you're in the you're in the like Texans, Jaguars, Jets zone. Right. Well, I'm trying to think of two. I'm trying to think of two. Like the the Vikings played in Lambo with Joe Webb at quarterback here a couple of years ago. I can't imagine that <laughs> one wasn't pretty list. close either. So I'm gonna have to fact check that <laughs> yeah, one a little the... bit here. Uh, before okay, we go well, too let's far just down. say in recent memory. Recent memory. Okay. Joe the Webb non- is still in my all, recent memory Joe, though, but. You, have you noticed how you just go to the Vikings there again? Like I had we got to, we got to, we got we, we to, gotta, we gotta put a cap on this. I, I'm done. So, like I mentioned, I, I I tried my hardest not to watch this game. Uh, the Huntley dream, I think we are, I already talked about this last week. How I didn't quite understand the Huntley deserves a spot dream, but that looks like it's dead. Uh, Ravens can regroup. Ravens seem to have somehow uh, avoided a lot of these. Uh, you know, consternation on the part of fans for the fact that the whole team imploded here, just, uh, even though they lost out after being eight and three in the season. You, you got anything for me here? And most importantly, what has to happen, barring Patrick Mahomes and probably Chad Henney somehow getting knocked out due to COVID, and they have to have. Um, Blake Bell as their QB one. Other than that, how is what would the line be? What would the line be if they didn't have a quarterback and Blake Bell was their quarterback for this game? I would probably put it at Chiefs minus two and a half. So I don't think the yeah, Steelers... I'd, I'd, like the Chiefs would still be favored. I feel like they would still they would they'd still, they'd still find a way. They still find a way. Um, but beyond that, is is there any way for this for the Steelers to compete in this game? I and mean, we have seen you know we've seen some pretty crazy things. No, I'm going to say no. I just don't see it happening. Unfortunately, I mean. 
I don't know. I think it's pretty fitting that, you know, like Big Ben's signature play in this particular matchup, fourth and eight, still threw it short of the uh, or the line to game, short of the sticks, basically, and Deontay Johnson had to back in uh, in order to get that first down to put him into field goal goal range in order to win this game. So uh, I just don't see any scenario where uh, the Steelers are at all relevant in this matchup. I can't against Kansas City. I did say probably a similar thing last week with the Indianapolis Colts and Jacksonville Jaguars. Dead wrong about that, but uh, I think I'm willing to just double down on the fact that there's no way Pittsburgh belongs uh, anywhere close to matching up against Kansas City. So uh, I, I'm probably going to be on Kansas City's t- side at you know 12 and a half. I do think they'll probably cover by at least two touchdowns, uh, if not a few more here. So that's that's my only takeaway. Yeah, I mean, they, what's funny is you know they get the Sunday night time slot because they like have two big fan bases. I mean, you have the best player in the NFL, uh, the most popular player in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes. Right. Or actually, well, I don't know. Maybe people would say Tom Brady's most popular. I don't. I don't buy that. Um, and then you have the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have one of the strongest, uh, deepest fan bases in in the country because they're sustained success over this time. So, despite the fact that this is looking, this is setting up as the biggest wipeout of the weekend. I mean, nothing else is more than we have eight points here with the Eagles and the Bucks. Um, this is going to get prime, prime coverage there on Sunday. Yeah. All right, before we get on to some games, uh, especially the San Francisco Rams game, which I'm going to want to talk about in some good detail, uh, let's sponsor time here. Manscaped, they're back. Cheers to 2022. And resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? You know, that's probably an easier – actually, is that easier or harder resolution than – like losing weight. I think and, it's way uh, probably harder to be honest with you because <laughs> you think it's harder. Yeah, for you. Once you're married, maybe, once you're married, it's just you know it's just. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like quitting smoking or having. Okay, well, how about that? Make it more difficult. What do you think it's harder to do? Quit smoking or shiny balls? I mean, I've never. Year-round. Yeah, I would say probably quitting smoking if I'm going to be honest here. Yeah, okay. But I've, I would say that I've never really had shiny uh, balls either. I guess <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know what they're using after the actual shaving process, but I might have to check out some Manscaped here in order to get in yeah, on the shininess. I don't know if that's yeah. Well, that that's cl- one know. out of two ain't bad. Right. Hopefully, you've had clean balls before. <laughs> so, uh, our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year. And make wait, there's a lot of there's, there's a little too many balls here. We I think I need to work on this because it's like and make the ball drop in 2022. Oh my, the cleanest and sexiest year. Sexiest? Eh, we'll, we'll I've never heard that. anybody describe a ball as sexy. I guess I don't know, but I think that's <laughs> that's got it. We got to fix that. You got to let me in on these I'm sh- ad reads a little. I'm bit sure more. there's a Reddit subthread that will right? prove you wrong on that. But uh, set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the four million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com. Use code PFF for twenty percent off and free shipping. Set your New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the four million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer go to manscaped.com and use code pff for 20 percent off and free shipping it's new year new me with the global leaders in male grooming let's not forget about the performance package 4.0 ultra new premium body wash everything you could possibly want to get the complete set manscaped threw in their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs as free gifts to keep with all your goodies comfortably Again, 20% off free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. It's New Year No Pubes in 2020 Whoa. with Manscaped. Did New, you, Year, New Year No Pubes. Did you come up with that closing line? Or no, was I, that, didn't, I, was, I, didn't, 
I did not. That was a Connor Price special, was, I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, anyway, well, let's move on here. Let's let's move on here. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, someone I, I bet Jimmy Garoppolo is a manscaper, and he is the winner here, despite everyone wanting him so badly to lose this game. 49ers at Rams, they win in this game in overtime, and my score had it more like 28 to 22, despite the fact so San Francisco, so they were seen as being the better team. So this game started Rams 17 nothing. I think the 49ers only had something like four passing yards midway through the second quarter, and then they kind of flipped roles between Jimmy G and Matthew Stafford for who was going to be the star of the game, who's going to be the GOAT, and who we're going to blame it on. The 49ers had a 49% success rate versus only 39 for the Rams, so that explains why my adjusted score leans heavily towards them. And the Rams just, you know, they could not run the ball at all. 25% success rate, they lost a third of a point per game. I want to talk about some of the decision-making here in this one, too. Specifically, McVeigh, as we know, fake sharp slash boomer McVeigh. At the end of this game, what really was a contrasted it for me is I know the 49ers were down 17 nothing, so they had to probably do something, but they got the ball back with 38 seconds left in the first half, the 49ers. 17 nothing. They threw the ball down the field. They marched all the way down there. They got a field goal at halftime, got the ball back, scored, boom, right another touchdown right in the game. At the end of the game for the 49ers, I mean, for the for the Rams, so they went up by a touchdown. Right after they went up by, by a touchdown near the end, they kicked it to San Francisco. They forced San Francisco to go three and out. They get the ball back in this game, and they didn't try to do anything. Again, they could not run the ball to save their lives, right? right. So they get the ball back. They run the ball for two yards, they run the ball for one yard on second and eight to third and seven. On third and seven, they run the ball again for two yards. And they started this possession at their own 40-yard line. They're up by seven points. If they gain 35, 40 yards, not even that, 25, 30 yards, they kick a field goal yeah, and, and seal the game. And they were not willing to do that. And then at the end later, even further down, they had the ball at the end of the half with – 26 seconds left at their own 25-yard line, and they didn't even try to do anything there either and then just took it into overtime. What's going on here? Because this was a game that even with the Cardinals losing, this did have an effect for the Rams not winning this game. I mean, you could say it's a psychological sort of things going against the 49ers, but there was a seeding differential here. They are now going to likely have to go to Green Bay if they win and Dallas wins their game here. They're going to have to face the Cardinals instead of if they won this game, they would have faced the Saints, which I think they would have preferred to do. What's going on here with McVay? Do you understand at all his conservatism in this moment? Am I blowing this out of, out of proportion? I do honestly think it was a little bit to do with the fact that the Cardinals were losing, right? And that game was essentially over. Maybe, I'm assuming he did understand, you know, the consequences of moving from, like, the third to the fourth seed. Maybe he didn't think it mattered a whole lot in that situation. But it definitely seemed, me watching both these games kind of simultaneously, that it did have some sort of impact when, the, when Rashad Penny basically broke loose uh, and essentially capped that game 
game off for Seattle that uh, the Rams, no matter what, were going to win the NFC West. It all came down to whether they were going to be the third or the fourth seed. So maybe that is like the one saving grace uh, for Sean McVay. If you don't buy into that, then uh, yeah, I go. I think you got to go back to what you first said, which is basically you know fake sharp really bad play toward the end, not putting his team whatsoever in the best position to win this game. So uh, I'm more inclined. I know I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm more inclined to give McVay uh, the benefit of the doubt in this particular scenario because uh, I don't really think uh, it probably matters too much from his perspective going in and facing off against Green Bay in Green Bay or facing off against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team uh, in Tampa in that divisional round. So that's that's my takeaway. Maybe It maybe probably should have influenced his decision, but uh, a fake sharp like McVay I do think is probably going to rest on his own thoughts here a little bit more than what he probably should be doing. So uh, I am willing to give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard this theory, and this is what they always say, like, oh, he was, he was trusting his defense. defense. He's trusting his defense. Trust. Well, like... If you're de- if you're deciding to pass it on one of those downs, there's going to be the same exact time left if you don't succeed, uh, and the 49ers are going to have one timeout versus zero timeouts with a minute thirty left. So, doesn't that show even more trust in your defense yeah. that you're you're willing to <laughs> to like to to leave more to, to leave them potentially more time with the timeout? Doesn't it show more trust in your defense that? You're willing to maybe risk a turnover even a bit more in that circumstance and give the ball away at midfield and still be able to stop them. It has nothing to do with trusting your defense. It has to do with not believing in, to a degree, is conservatism and just hoping that the other team with no timeouts and Jimmy Garoppolo can't do it. Right. I mean, it's basically. And I have to say. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, you go ahead. I was going to say basically, like, it, it goes back to our discussion previously where uh, everyone's making decisions based on trying to minimize risk as opposed to actually maximizing win probability. And I think once you continue to compound some of those errors, uh, that is when you really put your team uh, in the worst situation possible. And I think that Sean McVay kind of is consistently doing it. So uh, I don't really buy into him as being this, you know, ultra sharp play call head coach kind of candidate here right now. So, yeah, yeah. What, what You know what I liked about. This final drive from Garoppolo is, I feel like, not due to any sort of brilliance on his part, but just the way that he plays. If you ever see pass maps from him, he like rarely, if ever, throws it out to the sideline, right. like, whether it's scheme, whether it's his arm, or it's everything else. So in this type of situation, no timeouts. You think he would struggle a ton in this situation, but the reality is, like, maybe teams are not necessarily optimizing correctly for giving up time but getting big plays down the middle of the field. Because if you look at what they did in this circumstance, it was a 21-yard pass to Brandon Ayuk. Uh, did, you know, did not get out of bounds. Uh, a 5-yard pass did not get out of bounds. Then a 43-yard pass did not get out of bounds. <laughs> and, then, and then they got a penalty when they spiked the ball, but they wouldn't have needed the spike anyway. And then two players later, they threw it in the middle again, but they, but they scored a touchdown on that play. So they went 83, 88 yards in five plays, and they only took one minute off of the clock, never with zero timeouts, never throwing to the sideline, right. never stepping out of bounds the, the, the entire time. And I feel like that's a little bit of a flaw in some team's philosophy, is not being willing to get a chunk play 
and still being okay going up, running the next play, not being flustered, being prepared for the next play exactly. so you don't have to spike the ball necessarily in those circumstances and getting ready to go. So, like, again, I think it was by accident. I think it was more like the type of player he is that he's not got to go to the sideline, but I think he showed a little something in that drive and the drive to end the first half where, again, they marched down the field in 38 seconds. They moved 60-something yards to get into field goal position. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that is a really not good going take- out of bounds. That is a really good takeaway because I think, you know, we, we want to see teams actually spike the football in those scenarios uh, and they did none of that whatsoever really outside of the penalty uh, so I think you know having like you said having the next play maybe even having the entire script set up with the plays that you're actually going to call because to be honest with you uh, you need as many chunk plays as possible so that should be uh, the overall play that you're going to be calling uh, on every subsequent play and if you have those plays lined up whether they're successful or not doesn't really change the fact that you have another play ready to go in the hopper so I do agree with you I do think some end game management outside of timeouts uh, is definitely like a point of emphasis and maybe should be a spot to uh, potentially explore from an analytics perspective because this does seem like a little bit of a master class uh, and how to handle some of those situations here, especially with yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's a yard, there's a yard time trade-off by going right. in the middle, but there's also a less probability of um, turnover on downs right. by going in, right. by going in the middle because you you could just like you're just throwing incompletions trying to get that that perfect pass to go on the side, and then you're where, just immediately out like, of bounds. He, he wasn't throwing incompletions. Right. He wasn't throwing any incompletions. He was just throwing the ball down the, you know, the guys were open in the middle of the field because the defense was content to give up the yard. Right. So again, you're you're also lowering that risk I, of, the, of the drive ending. The, you're, you're raising the risk of the drive running out of time, but you're lowering the risk of the drive ending uh, like the Chargers drive almost ended over and over and over again on, on, on fourth down. Right, and I also think uh, that, I also think it lowers like your overall expectation of explosive plays if you're consistently throwing it to the sidelines because that's honestly not like one it's not an additional defender but in a lot of ways I do think you'd hear defense coordinators kind of say that that's you know probably easier to just get a guy out of bounds than actually having to make a tackle in the middle of the field in a one-on-one situation so I do think that yeah. it probably lowers your explosive play outlook uh, in those particular situations as well on the sidelines so it's an interesting yeah, takeaway. You, you see, you, you kind of need fewer things to go right also right. in those situations. I mean, higher leverage, more likely something's going to go wrong, but you're in a you're in a tough spot anyway there. Uh, one other thing I'll mention about Garoppolo, and I know I kind of harp on him a little too much and, and my, my, my not love for him, but my uh, lack of hate or relative <laughs> lack for of him, is he, did, is he did his normal thing. You know, he had, a, he had a 68.7 grade, not that great, but then he was a quarter of a point, expected point per play. Uh, he was the eighth highest on the week. Again, he finishes near the top of the league in that category. And I think a mistake people have where they say the Shanahan doesn't have faith in him is they may be like bucketing him into he's like Jared Goff or he's like Baker Mayfield or he's like one of those quarterbacks. And the reality is he always outperforms under pressure. He outperforms in these situations where you know he has to pass the ball, like third down, like these drives at the end of the half. He's not a guy who needs the play-action pass in order to open things up. He's more like he's more like a Jameis Winston, in my oh. mind. Like, he just throws a, an interception on first down. You're like, why did you do that? Like, you did not need to do that. Those are the things that drive you crazy about him. So I think people underrate sometimes, like, his ability in this game, come back from 17 to nothing, scoring multiple times where they need someone to march down the field. Everyone in the building knows they're going to throw it. He can still be effective in those situations. So he does give you a little bit of that. It's just you cannot trust him to not throw a, a pick sometimes. Right, right. I agree. I, th- I think 
you know, now that you made the comparison, maybe there is something there with the Jameis Winston uh, comp. But I would—I don't think I would have ever thought of comparing Jimmy Garoppolo to Jameis Winston. So that's a—that's a fair representation. But also, well, it's weird because like the people who love Jameis like hate Jimmy Jimmy right, Garoppolo. Right, 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 right. The Venn diagram is crazy. But yeah, I mean, we're just talking about analytics, right? This is We don't necessarily like your players, but there is a lack of hate for some of these players that we definitely enjoy talking yeah, about, right? Exactly. So. The, the computer. The computer told Dean Pease, the computer just told me right. that Jimmy Garoppolo is good. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I couldn't think about it. It can't tell me the weather, but it can tell me that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is is a good player. I'm excited about this San Francisco-Dallas matchup. Right. It might be my favorite matchup because I feel like it has the biggest chance to be an upset of a lot of these matchups. Three and a half, you know, it's not much right here. Yeah, Actually, three. It's, it's three. down to three now. It's down to three. So. Yeah, the hook is out. So, th- so three now. And if they win this game, then they go to Green Bay. And I would love to see that. The way that they've, they ran all over Green Bay a couple of years ago in the playoffs. Uh, so this is – like, I'm excited about San Francisco. I want San Francisco – to go on a run here uh, to stick it to the Jimmy G haters also. Interesting. I am all on Dallas minus three right here. So I want to hear as many people talking up San Francisco as possible. Maybe we'll even get a two and a half. I'm going to be fully sending on that when I do think Dallas is probably going to roll them here. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, but yeah, well, we can, we well, can have yeah, a friendly wager on that. Maybe like a manscaped wager or something like that. For who yeah, I don't know if I like, I don't know if I like betting on them. I just, I'm just, I'm just, you just hoping. You, there's just, well, I'm intrigued by the possibility. Yeah. I mean, it is as of now the closest game right, by, right. by spread right now. So it, it's it, it's it's the most likely game to see to see that right. sort of upset. But I don't know if people necessarily view San Francisco in that way from the fact that they had to sneak into the playoffs again. I feel like they're like a borderline top five ish sort of team, and that's what they're being priced at. Interesting. Uh, right that, I mean, that does make a lot of sense. I I don't know if I necessarily like this game, but there is a definite lack of hate for this for me in this game as well. So. <laughs> it's good. I like it. Well, we're having a whole lack of lack of hate lack of uh, hate segment uh, hour <laughs> yeah exactly okay so next game we want to talk about here and uh there's not a whole lot to talk about we, we we don't have to get into in detail but i thought it was a little bit interesting the titans houston game of course the titans only end up winning 28 to 25 despite being up 21 nothing at halftime i actually had houston being a little bit better in this game wow. shockingly they had a better success rate 45 percent to 40 percent but Tannehill went absolutely nuts on third downs 17 expected points added 1.5 expected points per drop back on third down and then when they had third down between five and ten yards to go so third and long they converted eight out of nine of third and five to ten yards not something that's going to happen that often in this so in some ways like if Tannehill didn't go nuts in this game they could have been in trouble in this game against Houston to clinch that number one seed so it kind of plays more and more into the fact that number one the the the, um the 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 train is really working the uh the the Vrabel coach of the year train is like off the tracks now. I, 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 I'm really feeling that, that coming in. So I feel like it's playing towards that. But again, this is like a bad performance in some ways for the Titans, a team that everyone is skeptical of, even with Julio Jones coming back. And people just think Derrick Henry is going to make everything turn into, you know, streams and roses over there. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I'm not putting too much stock in this game. Obviously, they were up 21 to nothing at halftime. Texans made a, for, you know, never say never, never say die uh, second half comeback here. But uh, I agree, at least from a perspective of I don't know why everyone uh, thinks the Titans can make any sort of run, especially if Derrick Henry does come back. Uh, I do think, you know, 
everyone, it seems like, at least from a betting perspective, is probably lower on them even than what PFF simulation is going to be. So uh, maybe we need to fold in, you know, some first, you know, having them as having the first, you know, first seed maybe it matters just a little bit more from our modeling perspective than what it does in the betting market. But uh, they're just not a team that I'm going to be backing here whatsoever. So, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean they get the buy, so they have they that. The Although I, like I mentioned, the Chiefs, the Chiefs have the half, half buy. buy. I mean that's like a three quarters <laughs> buy, in my my opinion for Playing sure. Against so. the Steelers, and I did, well, I did yeah, confirm, I, I did confirm CLEVTA. He is correct. I at least in the PFF era, I'm only oh. seeing some 11 point closing spreads uh, happening. So there was one uh, Pittsburgh Miami 2016, and then last year New Orleans Chicago 2020. That was an 11 point spread at close as well. But those were the two closest ones. You, so you know who's you know who else on the Kansas City side of things is happy about not getting this buy. You know who else is who? Uh, Jackson Mahomes. He can do can a dance. TikTok dance. Got, yeah. Like, did you see? You know, that, one week off. Yeah. If, what one week off? He can't. You know, if he can't. Got to build up the followers. You know what I'll say about? Well, I'll say about Jackson Mahomes. Clearly, extremely annoying and uh, whatever. But at the same time. You know, whatever. A man's, a man's got a, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. I mean, you living know, in gotta, Patrick, got a TikTok. I mean, living in Patch Mahomes' shadow, uh, and you know, people probably discuss Jackson. Yeah, but people discuss Jackson way more than they definitely should. So he's at least doing something, right? I mean, they say any publicity is good publicity. So I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't so necessarily. I, I'm subscribe. not going to hate on him. Yeah. I'm not going to hate him as much as anyone. He, else, it looks but, like he couldn't even uh, spell his own last name correctly, though. Is that like a was that like a miss? I don't know. I think Jack? the E may have been folded okay, in. It may have been okay. folded in a bit here, but we'll we'll do some. Maybe you can do some investigative work. I can on work that on also. that. I'll work on that here in the next week. While, I'm, while I'm yammering over here, yeah. even though it's not uh, Vikings related. Okay, let's go uh, Patriots, Dolphins. Let's talk about this a little bit because there's some interesting stuff in here. So the Dolphins, and then of course we'll talk about the Brian Flores news. So the uh, Dolphins win 33-24. I had the Patriots being better, 27-19. to And the Patriots had a 55% success rate. Again, I talked about last week they had – They'd be the best success rate of the last few years at over 60%. But they had 19 EPA lost in uh, – or expected points lost in turnovers, 11 in fumbles. Now, one of those was at the very end of the game where they were just trying to do this weird, you know, throw it backwards. And they ended up being a fumble six on that one. But then the the interception was a pick six. There was only one interception. There was another fumble there that was on a botched snap. So that's a lot of point differential – on what was basically one real mistake. So they lost 19 expected points on one real mistake, the pick six. Uh, so that, that that has a higher factor than some people are really going, going to factor in this one. Let's get right into Flores because that's probably the biggest news coming out of this here. He was – 5-11 and 11 in a total teardown year in 2019, his first year there. 10-6 and six last year. 9-8 and eight this year with – to a missing time, they had a nine win total going into the season. So you could say they underperformed. You could say they should have been a playoff team. But there's got to be something going on behind the scenes here. And it sounds like um, the the GM, uh, it sounds like Chris Greer is in alignment with the owner. He's probably got the stronger relationship with the owner. Right. He's been there since 2000 in some capacity. He's been the GM there since 2016. Sounds like they wanted Flores out. I don't know how it'll affect the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, all that stuff. What was your level of shocked 
shockedness on this one because everyone was tripping over themselves to say that they were more shocked than everyone else. Yeah, I mean, I was relatively shocked, of course, but I mean, I don't really put much stock into my own synopsis of how these situations play out. Obviously, I'm evaluating them only on what I, I can I put see. Stock into your only what I can I, see. I put stock into Thank it. you. Somebody has to. You and my wife, basically, the only two. But, um, yes. um, but like, yeah, going back to it, like, I don't know what's happening behind closed doors. You could say, you know, Brian Flores, Stephen Ross probably had a pretty shitty relationship. That seems obvious now. Uh, and maybe he does want Jim Harbaugh. Maybe he thinks they're going to be more successful uh, with somebody else. It does seem like this was more of a popularity uh, decision than anything that we saw on the football field. I do think, you know, the players from Miami seem to definitely buy into what Brian Flores uh, put forth. Never quit on him in this year in a season that would have been really easy to do so. So uh, I think he's going to be a, you know, a pretty hot coaching candidate. Uh, I do think probably the reason was is there's popularity uh, aspect and maybe some internal struggles as far as him not getting along with the owner or GM. Uh, who's to say? Who's to know? It's all rumors at this point. But I do think Flores should definitely get another shot here uh, as a head coach in the NFL. I definitely think he deserves that. So, yeah, there there was there was some okay the, the hints that you could say at some potential issues. They also mentioned the relationship with Tua, which okay. you know, like maybe well, maybe, maybe that might have been the Deshaun Watson. Don't, don't get thing. the owner's right, name. Right. Yeah. Yeah, don't get don't get your owner's name like with secret phone calls to uh, Deshaun Watson all the time. Right. I thought I thought at least from a PR standpoint, Flores played that pretty well. The whole thing last season with going to Tua when Fitzpatrick was playing really well, and then pulling Tua in the fourth quarter for Fitzpatrick, and then going back to Tua and so on, maybe wasn't ideal. But you know that that's the way it goes. Some stuff, the only, again, we don't know a lot of stuff that was going on there, but there's a lot of turnover in different guys that were going on here. They had, in his first season, Patrick Graham was a defensive coordinator. Chad O'Shea was the offensive coordinator. Then he brought in Chan Gailey, which was just kind of like a strange move at offensive coordinator, a guy who hadn't been around for a while. And then last season, they had co-offensive coordinators and then they also had a QB coach who some people said may have been calling plays. Like, no one seemed to really know. Uh, some people say it was only one guy calling plays, another guy relaying plays. But I'd also heard, again, this is like, you know. Through the grapevine. sources. Hashtag, hashtag sources. That some people didn't really know what was going on, even in the organization there, as far as um, who was calling the plays, who wasn't calling the plays. So there, seemed to be, there may have been some management dysfunction there, despite the fact that superficially you look at the results, you look at the team, you look at – what are the problems here? Well, the, the biggest problems you could point out to is they had all this draft capital that they squandered relatively on picks that did not hit. They went to a instead of Herbert, although there's a lot of hindsight bias right. in there. But, you know, everyone's subject to but, you are your results but. sometimes. And their offensive line was the worst in the NFL by our grading uh, as far as pass blocking is concerned, was the worst in the NFL. We have confirmation, worst in the NFL according to ESPN's pass block win rate. You know, who is ultimately responsible for these pieces where, you know, they built this back end, they brought in the talent, they had Xavier Howard that they, they re-signed, they had, you know, Byron, Byron Jones, Jones that they yeah. brought in there. They brought in some guys there, but ultimately – from a player personnel standpoint, they had like some fatal flaws that made things difficult for them. Yeah, I mean, I would say nine tenths of what you just described was probably on Chris Greer as opposed to uh, right. anything on Brian Flores' so, uh, plate. So I don't know. It's, it's obviously there's some, you know, the fault maybe is, you know, going back to a two versus Herbert. 
like you said, hindsight bias, but that's definitely a GM decision making and then squandering so much draft capital, right? Uh, and then, you know, the Tunsil trade, those sorts of things, not really being able to build up the offensive line. I still think that's probably Greer a lot more than Flores. So, so I think, you know, from my perspective, Ross probably made uh, the wrong decision if he had to side with one or the other. Uh, but I guess we'll see long term how this actually plays out for them. I do think Flores uh, definitely maybe, maybe bring him on to the Vikings. I had to squeeze that one in there or something, the younger, better version, more hungry version of Mike Zimmer. That's what we yeah, need. Yeah, everyone seems to want the guy, right, right. which is funny. Like, if, again, if you like flip this season around and you said nine and all, um, yeah, what are they, eight and one or something? Let's, they have, they have, I think they had the second easiest schedule in the NFL. Right, right. So if you, if you flip the season around and you say they, 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 they start the season, what, like eight and uh, one or something. Yeah, eight and one, and then they flip around on the other end, and then they end the season one and seven. What, like, everyone is like calling for his head probably, and they miss the playoffs in the final week. Everyone's calling for his head probably, and instead, everyone has somehow elevated him to being the top of the of the cast. Right. So you know, like, I get it if you want to back him. I think that's perfectly fine. I'm not like getting on anyone's case about that, but I just think you know you always want to be a little bit centered when it comes to these uh, discussions. Center. All right. Let's speaking of. Speaking of being centered, making plus EV decisions, let's talk about DraftKings. We've hit the final week of the pro football regular season. Well, it's actually, over. We're, we're past it's over. That. I, I, <laughs> got to update my ad copy here. We've hit the first week of the NFL playoffs here, and we're heading into the national championship. Where you can, you're going to have to really hurry up on this one here. But the DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer here. You can bet just $5 on any football team to win their game. And if you do, you win $200 in free bets. If the sportsbook is not available in your state, you can still find winners with daily fantasy contests, giving all customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any football team, college or pro, and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered. One per customer. Restriction supply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Western and Southern want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission will earn you the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We will cover your catering up to $2,500 order from your favorite restaurant and have it delivered on February 13th, 2020. 2022, excuse me. We're not going to go back in time for that. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best question each week. Submit your questions at westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that's westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube channel, link below in the description. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, last game I want to talk about, and it didn't end up mattering, but they're in the playoffs. Those are the Arizona Cardinals. And the reason I want to talk about this 38, 30 victory for Seattle. Uh, I had Seattle at 30 to 24. So about the same difference here. Um, Russell Wilson kind of stacking another solid game, but we've done some rust talk. We don't need to get into that. Uh, Rashad Penny continues to be the greatest running back in the NFL paying off. Uh, first uh, round draft cap, the haters, the haters who thought that he didn't belong. This is all part of the first first round plan from 2019 was to come on here at the end of the season. And 
But the Cardinals are really the story here, right? How far they've fallen. They're four and a half point dogs at the Rams, which isn't that bad, but not as seen as being close to an equivalent team, really, as the Rams right now in an era where home field advantage does not mean a whole lot here. And offensively, I was looking, I thought maybe they're having problems offensively, but it wasn't actually as big of a deal. What I'm more concerned about is the defense. And, you know, they got this fumble six very early in the game. But if you look at how they've played since week 14, they've they haven't held any opponent to below average efficiency other than the Bears. Um, it's probably a reason for and that, And they got right? torched by the Lions. Right. They got torched by the Lions in here, too. Uh, I mean, they had some harder games in there. But they got torched by the Lions as one of those games in there. So this was a very opportunistic, high-flying Cardinals defense early in the season that's really crashed down to earth, combined with an offense that's performing well, but again, is not really breaking any records here. How concerned are we about the Cardinals going into the playoffs and Rams plus four and a half. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, Rams minus four and a half. I might, I might like that. It doesn't really matter a whole lot, you know, between four and a half and five, six points. But it, it's interesting. Yeah, least. I think you missed their worst defense performance. That was allowing, what, 34 points to the Carolina Panthers led by uh, Philip Walker and, you know, Cam Newton, basically. I don't know. That was, <laughs> I forgot about that. that was, that's going back a little bit That further, one's going yeah, back a little yeah, bit too far. Was, but yeah, that was... Uh, that's back when Cam was going to come back and be the, be the greatest investment right. ever for that. And of course, for, for the I guess, Panthers. I guess, in, in full disclosure, that was one game that the Panthers did have Christian McCaffrey, generational running back. So maybe that had a little uh, bit of impact on it as well. I'm not quite plus sure. Plus minus Christian McCaffrey plus minus stats going through the roof this <sighs> this, this season. So yeah, I mean. Not, I, I I agree with you. I don't think they're the team that I'm necessarily going to be buying into. I do think the Rams. Uh, even though they've kind of been a team that I'm not really all that interested in either, I do think they are the correct side at four and a half here. Uh, it just seems like, you know, no DeAndre Hopkins, obviously. Uh, I'm not even sure who, you know, Jalen Rams is going to need to cover uh, for Arizona. But as long as, you know, as long as Kyler Murray doesn't rush for like 85 yards and two touchdowns, I don't see any way that the Rams don't cover here uh, on Monday night. So, yeah, I feel like uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, Sean McVay. I feel like Manscaped should be should be uh, sponsoring. Should be sponsoring this here. I feel like those two guys would be on on board. Boomers. Uh, well, actually, no, they probably, a little bit yeah, better. They fake sharp. Fake sharp. I was gonna say do fake sharp. Just being fake sharp and Manscaped go hand in hand. But maybe uh, uh, Manscaped might not like that sponsors. We, we have to cut that out. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's talk about fired coaches. We already talked about Flores here. Did I miss anyone? Did I miss anyone while we're talking here? I mean, I don't think um, so. anything's popped lately. Of course, Jacksonville okay, with so Urban Flores, Meyer, Vic, Zimmer and Spielman, you got Fangio, Matt Nagy. Right? No one saw Nagy coming. Fangio. Oh yeah, Fangio already happened. So I forgot about that one. So Fangio, and then. To me, the most surprising may be the firing that did not happen, and that is Joe Judge supposedly retaining, like, is is someone buying that crap? Like, when he comes in and he's just like, oh, you know, I tell you, did you see any golf clubs out there? There's no golf clubs out there. We are a blue-collar, hard-nosed working team. We embody this city. We embody the drive. We're, you know, we're moving forward, one step forward, you know, two steps forward, one step back. This was a step back. You know, I don't know what the hell he's saying in these meetings. Like, what, how is he, get, how is he not gone after sneaking the ball on third and six? I mean, yeah, that was, that was preposterous. Right? I do think Dave Gedlin probably fell on the sword a little bit for him. Obviously, he retired, so uh, maybe he took some of the uh, downfall for Joe Judge. But this is... Uh, probably the most egregious decision that didn't happen uh, on Black Monday in a lot of scenarios. So I, I, I mean, is personnel really a problem for this team? Though I mean, I mean maybe you say it is, but remember they had 
they had a good defense last year. Right. They had they, they had a number a, a top six quarterback pick. They had Evan Ingram, who had one of the best rookie seasons ever by a tight end, a first round pick. They brought in you know Kenny Galladay. They nothing. drafted Kadarius. Right. Yeah, I, I know, but still, <laughs> they brought in Kenny Galladay. They drafted uh, Kadarius Tony in the first round. They have Sterling Shepard. They have uh, Darius Slayton, who looks like he's been playing pretty well. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, Vikings, shout out Vikings. Uh, Kyle Rudolph in there, number you know, number four overall pick, Andrew Thomas. I mean, right. they've they've thrown a lot of shit at the wall, but none of it Stuck. is sticking right. right is sticking right now. But at the same point in time, like this was a team that was constructed in a way when you think about the draft capital that was spent the free agency money that was spent this is a team that was constructed to be in a window right. a playoff right. window now right. this season this is not a this is not a rebuilding season right. okay right. they Last had, that. Was they not had a that a couple of years ago now it's just been like yeah the same so this shit is not a rebuilding time. season so like yeah not all the personnel stuff worked well but this is also not a year where you should have this type of result, no matter you know what's going on at court. You have a veteran quarterback in Mike Glennon that, that you have there who stinks, but still he like should give you some floor outcome. This right. is not like Deshaun Kaiser coming in or something like that. Right. Like I, I just don't understand how there can be an excuse for this type of performance where we just mentioned Brian Flores who got fired, who got that team uh, where they were completely turned around, stripping it down, yeah. and he got that team. 5 and 11 in a teardown year and then immediately 10 and 6 after that and this Giants team is just totally pathetic here to end the season. Yeah, there's no accountability, right? I mean, it is honestly pathetic cuz that is what Joe Judge actually talks about probably more than anything else. How is many the accountability. Laps does Joe Judge assigned himself right, after the season right. is what I want. It's just pathetic. It honestly is pathetic. I don't know what to say cuz I do think, you know, some people are obviously on them as like somewhat of a trendy NFC West contender. Here with, you know, Daniel Jones potentially taking this big step forward, Kenny Galladay, free agent acquisition, going to matter so much. And, like, none of that came into fruition, right? And it's just the same story every single year for New York. And if they want to continue down that path, that's fine. But uh, it just makes the NFC East, I would say, embarrassing. And it makes, you know, the Dallas Cowboys all that much more likely to continue on their streak of, you know, division titles for this one. So I don't know what to say about yeah, it. I don't right. know why they would ever, so, I don't know why they would so it's not sleep. Let's not sleep on my man, Jalen Hurts and the, and the yeah, Philadelphia right, Eagles. But yeah, right, you're right. right. Yeah, you're right there. And yeah, so whenever they would clip to this game, like I don't, it wasn't an overhead shot. So maybe it was more sparsely attended, but there was decent attendance there for an awful game. I felt like just because the fans wanted to boo and they got a lot Glad to there. boo about. Um, Kenny Galladay's lack of effort on that one deep pass. I don't know if you saw the one that went uh, that went like right out of his reach where he, he kind of leaned a little bit, but it was the most pathetic like try lean. to lean. Uh, zero touchdown catches for Kenny Galladay this season uh, with all the money that he got there. So, yeah, not good to say there. Okay, l- 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 we might as well give you the floor. I mean, I don't even know if I want. I don't even know if I wanted it. Should I go? Should I? Should I? Should I go? Like, do a coffee break or something? I mean, while you, no, while you this is fine. We will. This is, well, this is the only thing you need. I don't need to do this right now. But when you have the off season, our off season okay. episode on the Minnesota Vikings, 
I just want to come along for the ride. That's all I'm asking right now. I want to do that one and the Colts one and any other one that you'll let me have. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to run it with you. Okay. But I think we got to. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do that. This, this, because... takes a, this is going to take a complete teardown, uh, hour and a half, duking it out sort of fest here for the Minnesota Vikings. So I don't want to even get into it right now. I need to mentally prepare. It's just too soon right now, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for a lot of these teams, it's going to be, you know, here's – Here's item one, two, and three that you need to do to turn things around. For the Vikings, it's going to be like you know Santa getting out the Christmas list right. for all well, of North America or something. I, it's going to be. I mean, it's, that's it's the problem. It's literally like we're talking about all these teams that have maybe bottomed out. Like the Vikings haven't even necessarily bottomed out yet, so they need to get that right first, and then maybe we can start talking about this rebuild or something. But right now, it's like hey, as long as you have Kirk Cousins, you have you have a you chance. Have top 10, you have a chance. You have top ten, top ten quarterback play according from to EPA perspective. Um, so. Here, uh, any any good candidates? You get, throw me, give me a good coaching candidate. Other than you know Brian Flores is, co- uh, is obviously going to be popular. G- g- give me give me give me something spicy. Who do you want? I mean, to I like Brian Demol. give me one coaching candidate for one job. I mean, me I like Brian Demol. I think like him in Chicago would be a really interesting uh, marriage with Justin Fields at quarterback. I think he's a guy. You know that Bills offense maybe in general took a step back here in 2021, but what he showed in 2020 uh, and before, I do think that he is. Uh, the, the legitimate there. It does sound like uh, the rumors are talking about Lane Kiffin as the Minnesota Vikings head coach. I'm not sure how I even feel about that one right now. Uh, no way. So that's, that was the that? rumor, but I do, you know, I guess from, from your perspective, obviously we're going to lean towards some of these, you know, offensive coordinators and those sorts of things. Who would you, who would be your number one candidate if you were looking more for that offensive side of the football, right? Byron Leftwich, Nathaniel Hackett, Kellen Mund, oh, Kellen Moore, sorry. Uh, wow. Vikings just <laughs> I don't want to see Kellen Mund. No, Vikings on the mind. Or Brian DeBold. Is there any one of those four that you would think is kind of like your guy? Or maybe maybe you're still a Joe Brady fan. I feel like maybe you're still holding out hope for yeah, Brady. Yeah, I, 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 right? I don't mind Joe Brady. I don't mind Kellen Moore. Um, I, it really depends. I mean, so my process for head coach is like really focusing in on – the side, the other sides of what they're going to do, the the detail, how detail oriented right. they are, how their relationship management is, because what is being true to who you are, I think, is the most important right. thing. Whether it's Dan Campbell being true to his sixty four ounces of venti coffee and seven shots of espresso, and you know, biting <laughs> off kneecaps, whether it's that sort of stuff, or whether be whether it's being true to being a very even keel. You know, right. Kevin Stefanski, like no no ups, no downs. Try to be that type of guy. It, it, it's being one of those things. But I'll I'll say for you though, for for the Chicago Bears, and when we're talking about um, bringing in Brian Dable, you know what they could do is they could bring in Brian Dable, and he, they could also bring with him uh, Mitch Trubisky, who, who's who just there looks like bring fire bring whenever, whenever whenever he comes <laughs> whenever he comes in and plays for the Bills. Guys, the guy's fire. Look at uh, you know, seventy grade this season. He's just been he's been killing. So I, that's that's what I would light want. a fire on your Justin that. Fields. Make him you know shoot to the top. And actually work out some here. So I, if Trubisky, if Trubisky like back, there, baby. It, it was against Fields. Oh my god, that would make me so happy so. to see that. Um, okay, well anyway, everybody, we're gonna come back on Friday. I'll figure out what team I'm going to review. I don't know. Depending upon. Uh, Benjamin's availability. We'll see if whether or not we can do Vikings. Maybe maybe we can't if you're available on Friday because that's like is a hot hot topic. What's going what's going on with them and and Zimmer out so far? Otherwise, I'll hit another team. Maybe the Seahawks are in there. 
the, the Giants are just like too depressing to talk about. Right. I don't want to talk about rebuilds. I want to talk about teams that can maybe tweak a few things and compete again, which I know you're going to do with the Vikings. We're not doing with the Vikings. They will debate so. on that for the Vikings because I still think the Vikings, they're, they're in perpetual win-now mode, I think, for one, more, for one more season. You need to wait on the Seahawks um, news, then, I think, here, because we got to hear something as far as Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll before we really go deep on a podcast with them. We might not hear anything for, sure. for Russ, though, right. in a while. I think Pete's safe. Pete seems like he's safe, and Russ... Um, yeah, I, I don't awesome. know. I don't know. Right. Supposedly the Giants are one of his one of his potential teams. So I feel like if you were the Giants, I would just be like, Russ, who do you want yeah. as head coach? We got Joe Judge is gone. Right. <laughs> who do you want as head coach? Who do you want as GM? Come over here. Come play for us. You're used to playing with pathetic offensive lines. <laughs> nice. um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and see what they can do there. I like it. But anyway, I'll be talking to you guys at Friday, on Friday uh, a little bit more on oh, Thursday night, maybe we'll release on Thursday night for Friday morning, and then a little bit more, of course, on potential bets for the weekend. But thank you, Ben, for joining me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in and talk at you in a few days.